Greetings, everyone. I am excited to welcome Ravi Parikh, co-founder at Airplane, to the show today. Ravi, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So let's dive right in and tell us a little bit about your SaaS background. For sure. So currently, I'm the co-founder of a company called Airplane. We're a 20-person developer tools company. But before that, I was actually uh, co-founder as well of a company called Heap, which is an analytics company. So um, I started Heap in 2013, a couple of years after I graduated college with a friend of mine from school. Um, we were basically building web analytics, mobile analytics software, similar to things like Mixpanel or Google Analytics, with mm -hmm. the key difference being that we automated a lot of the um, co complex parts of, of tracking uh, user behavior on, on websites and mobile apps. And so we had that idea in 2013. Um, I'm an engineer by background, so spent the first couple of years writing code. But once the company got past roughly a million in ARR or, or, or so, um, I actually moved over onto the go-to-market side. So I scaled up sales, marketing, customer success, all that kind of stuff for most of my time at Heap. And so I helped scale the company to about 200 total people uh, for about seven years. And then in 2020, um, I decided to leave the company. And so we hired a COO uh, to take over my role who came in and started sort of running go-to-market. And that COO actually ended up becoming the C CEO of the company. My co-founder also left uh, Heap as well. Um, and so after leaving Heap, I started Airplane. Um, Airplane is basically a developer platform to automate uh, the harder parts of creating internal tools. So basically internal admin panels and cron jobs and these kinds of like pieces of software that almost every company needs to write internally, but that are not really the sort of core differentiation of the business. Mm -hmm. And so engineers spend 20, 30% of their time working on these kind of internal tools. We try to give them a platform that makes that a lot faster. This was one of the bigger problems that we struggled mm -hmm. with uh, at Heap during my time there. And so- okay. yeah. Yeah, so uh, Airplane is still a pretty young company. We've been around for a little over two years now. Um, we're about 20 people um, and have started to get some initial traction. I've raised two rounds of funding. Um, and yeah, that's kind of my quick sort of two-minute background. Yeah, appreciate it. So engineer by trade, but go-to-market experience, which I love. And then so you had, sounds like, co-founded co Heap, scaled it up to a nice size company. Now, are you still involved their ownership or you have completely exited and moved on from from heap yeah i'm 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 still a a, a big equity holder in the company mm -hmm. um, okay. but i'm not really involved in any real formal capacity so i i did stay on the board of heap for a little bit after i left but i also um, am no longer on the board either okay okay interesting uh so then founded airplane and then tell us a little bit more about the company. You said, you know, automating kind of those admin tools that are part of a lot of SaaS applications where not a core differentiator, but just always needed. So tell us a little bit more about Airplane and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So I'll give a bit more detail. Um, you know, maybe it's helpful with an example. Um, let's mm -hmm. say you're a company like Uber or something like that. Not one of our customers, just an illustrative example. And, you know, let's say a customer takes an Uber ride, but the car never shows up or something like that, but their credit card gets charged anyways, probably a common occurrence. Someone has to sort of email the support team or chat with the support team. And someone on the other end um, is going to have to like look into that, look up that user's data, look at the ride, see what happened there. They're going to do some amount of like reading data essentially to diagnose the situation. And then they might have to like click a button or something that issues a refund or a credit or some sort of like remediation of that. All that sort of work that's being done, uh, someone had to build a system for that support agent to sort of resolve that problem. And those systems uh, kind of exist at every company, every cloud provider out there, every app out there needs some sort of behind the scenes software that lets people read and write customer data, essentially. And these systems have a lot of similarities. You know, the system that Uber uses to sort of remediate 
disputes probably looks a lot like the system DoorDash uses and the system Airbnb uses internally and the system um, Facebook uses for content moderation. There's some amount of like mm -hmm. UI elements that need to display data in the format of like tables or charts and things. There's sort of forms that need to get filled out, buttons need to get clicked to sort of like um, uh, manage these things. So this is kind of the reality in almost every company. And it's not necessarily that Uber is going to win in the market by virtue of having a better you know, refund portal or whatever it might be. And so uh, if you're working on these sorts of things, it's kind of seen as a necessary cost rather than something that's mm -hmm. going to sort of push the business forward. And so the framework we provide basically gives you a set of common building blocks that let uh, any company kind of build, build these things mm -hmm. really quickly. Um, and so the UI elements, you need to construct these interfaces, the sort of like um, processes you need to sort of like uh, run these things uh, in the right ways, the sort of logic to basically stitch together multi-step workflows and and talk and and effectively um, standardize how data should flow through th these workflows and things like that. The tooling to make sure these things are are permissioned and safe in the right ways. You know, you don't want just anybody in a business, mm -hmm. you know, seeing any data, all that kind of stuff. So those mm -hmm. kind of common patterns, we've given a set of tools around. And so you, as an engineer who's working at Uber, let's say used our platform instead of building it in house instead of writing a lot of software from scratch, you're doing a lot of last mile work. So mm -hmm. instead of 10 weeks to build the system, it might take you one week using airplane or something like that. Uh, the other sort of way airplanes unique, there's a lot of actually companies out there that actually attempt to solve this problem. Um, and so there's like specific SaaS vendors. If a, if a specific uh, uh, pattern is common enough, it'll probably just turn into some SaaS that's off the shelf rather than being a sort of tool builder. Um, but there's also a lot of like no code, low code software out there that allows you to uh, essentially um, uh, stitch these things together using like less, like less, like more, more like drag and drop kind of uh, ways of assembling these interfaces mm -hmm. and things like that. Uh, our approach is actually pretty different. We're more of a developer tool. It's a code-based framework. So our goal is not to sort of like let anybody in a business build tools. Our goal is to let developers build tools a lot faster. So it's a bit of a different approach. And I think that's a little bit more unique to, to airplanes kind of way of approaching the problem. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So those internal engineering teams, so they don't have to just create this code from scratch and maybe take all that time. And maybe it's not as best in class as say a, a product where you just purely focus on those applications, you know, so they can get up and running faster. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So really behind the scenes, like you said, not something that maybe the customer or user would see, but right. definitely they would be impacted by having your, your tools within their software. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so you mentioned you you founded the company a couple of years ago. Was it 2021, 2022 that you founded Airplane? It was it was barely in 2020. So it was December 2020 is when we okay. I think technically incorporated the company. It was myself and a friend of mine named Josh who um, uh, had a similar SaaS journey to me. Actually, he was CTO of a company called Benchling, which is a uh, life sciences SaaS company that he was there early, helped scale it up to 300 plus people. That mm -hmm. company's valued at six billion dollars. Uh, and so him and I, once we both left our respective previous startups. Um, both were kind of brainstorming ideas and talking about what we had struggled with. And this mm -hmm. internal tooling challenge had been a major challenge at both Heap and Benchling. So started the company in 2020. Um, okay. And then since then have scaled. Yeah. And where are you guys located? Is it remote, hybrid? What, what's uh, the, the work setup or HQ setup? Yeah, it's it's a little bit hybrid. So um, interestingly, Josh lives in San Francisco. I live in New York. So um, him and I actually don't have a whole lot of in-person FaceTime. Um, uh, the company is... Uh, it, it's, it, it's mostly remote. We have people in a variety of cities, New York, San Francisco, Toronto, Tokyo, Pennsylvania, Chicago, all, all kind of all over the map kind of, um, with sort of like a, mostly a focus on us, uh, like us time zones, like okay. things are compatible with our working hours. 
Um, but we do have a slightly larger concentration of people in San Francisco and New York. So we do have offices there um, that are kind of, it's kind of optional. People can go in if they yep. want. Okay. And then I, th you, I think you mentioned your team size, but what's your current team size right now? Uh, we're exactly 20 people. 20 people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then anything you want to share around the magnitude scale of your company, ARR, anything gives us a sense of scale of your company right now? Yeah, I, I don't want to show the exact numbers, but we're we're sub sub ten million. We're still pretty small uh, okay. in the grand things from an ARR perspective. But um, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. We're we're still small enough where we don't feel the sort of like macro impacts of what's happening right now. Like mm -hmm. we're still small enough where it doesn't take that much to to sort of have exponential growth happening. So we're sort of seeing that despite the fact that in general people are tightening up SaaS spends yeah. significantly. Um, it does seem like anecdotally. The deal sizes that we're closing are smaller and take a little bit longer than I think they would have, but there's not enough historical data to even know what it might have looked like otherwise. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, it's kind of an interesting, interesting time to be scaling an early stage company. Yeah, and that that leads us well into this next question. So it's interesting to write targeting developers, internal engineering teams. So tell us about your go-to-market motion. How are you reaching these developers? And who is that ICP or ideal customer profile that you're trying to reach in your in your in your sales process? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we've evolved on that over time, and I'm, I'm sure it'll continue to evolve. So we saw the developers, we saw the engineering teams. Um, the thing that we've noticed is that Airplane really needs to get buy-in from like two different individuals in a company. So it needs to get buy-in from someone in engineering leadership. Um, Airplane is sort of, it's not like a single player application. It's not something like Figma where one person can adopt it and be more productive by themselves. It's something where you're using Airplane as a framework to build stuff. And that stuff is going to get shared with other people in the business. So it's kind of a team decision to buy Airplane. So it, someone in leadership has to sort of say, Airplane is going to be the way we build internal tools. At the same time, it's a very experiential product. Um, it's not something that just can be bought on like features and functionality. It's a, it's a, it's a framework to build software more quickly. If you're an engineer, you know, you can build, like you've probably been used to building these kinds of internal tools in-house or using some open source framework or something. So even if Airplane conceptually sounds like a good solution to you, you're going to have to play with it and use it and actually build something real for you to have confidence that this actually is the right solution that's going to make you more productive. So you kind of have to get both. And in our sort of buying process, we need one or more individual engineers to like build stuff in Airplane. And we also need someone in leadership to be bought into the idea that Airplane is the right way to do things. Um, and so we've kind of, it's sort of like a hybrid sales plus PLG kind of motion. So okay. um, we've done a couple of product launches and things like that. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of inbound. So most people that we end up selling to discover airplane like organically or through ads or something like that, rather than us sort of going outbound and finding them. Um, and usually it's individual engineers who kind of like sign up for airplane and start playing with it. Um, we have a free trial, we have a, a, a free tier. So we try to make it very easy to onboard onto it. But then inevitably, if, if it's anyone who's working at a company of sufficient size, we'll have someone from our sales team reach out to that person, try to have a sort of conversation uh, and, and loop in more of the team into the evaluation, structure a, an actual more structured evaluation, uh, and then you know uh, move forward with an agreement if it, if it sort of works uh, as planned. So it's kind of like a hybrid PLG, but with, with a very early sales touch kind of uh, process, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's really interesting because you say a lot of inbound, probably from those engineers who want to try it, get that free trial. Yeah. And then how, when does that sales motion kick in? Like how do their heads pop up where it's like, okay, I think it's time to contact this company. Is the engineer doing that? Or is it you guys looking at their activity or their usage? And it's, it sounds like, Hey, we should call this company now and see if they want to implement our framework. Yeah, it's, it's more the latter. I think, um, 
most engineers, not to paint with too broad of a brush, most engineers don't like being sold to. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we that that's also me. I don't like being sold to either. So I, I think if you're too aggressive about it, people are like, no, I'm good. I, I can try the product myself. I don't need your help or whatever. Um, but I think like most, most people will run into, like if you're an engineer, you've signed up for airplane, you're trying it out and you're using it. Inevitably, if you think this is the right solution for your company, you're going to have to evangelize it internally. You're going to have to go through some sort of security review. And so at that point, having the assistance of our team to help with that process is generally appreciated. So we'll kind of reach out fairly early in that eval. Um, luckily, Air, Airplane, we've put a lot of effort into making onboarding super clean, the documentation super easy. So someone can actually get to reasonable value in a few hours of work. Um, they're not necessarily going to have built something super complicated, but they'll have built enough to maybe get a sense like, hey, this is you know potentially the right solution for us. And so if we've seen even that minimal level of activity, it's sometimes enough of an indication for us to reach out to them and say like, hey, let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah. And I love that point, that time to value where it sounds like just a couple hours of them playing around with it. They can see that value right away versus just, well, I spent a couple hours. I didn't quite get it. I spend more hours and then finally I give up. You yeah. Know? So yeah, that's interesting. And so you just recently raised a, a, a series B, but how much capital have you raised to date? Yeah. So we've raised two rounds. We raised a eight and a half million dollar series A last year, or I guess two years ago at this point, 2021. And then we raised a $32 million series B in 2022. Um, so yeah, a total of a little over $40 million in, in total funding. Okay. So that's a decent sum of money to raise. Yeah. And what, you know, what did you see in, in say the series A or B, were there any triggers or milestones or, you know, any indications that said, this is the time to raise the series A. This is the time to raise the series B. You have previous experience with heap. So yeah. what, what did you see that said, Hey, let's, let's raise some money. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think a couple of things, uh, you know, I think we've, to be totally candid, we've always gotten a little bit more credit than maybe the company deserves purely on paper because of my background, my co-founders background. So both of us um, uh, helped create billion dollar companies before. Um, and so I think, you know, investors are, are willing to, to pay a bit of a premium for that. And so our series A got done when we were probably more like a seed stage company and our series B got done probably when we were more like a series A stage company. So uh, I don't know if that'll, that you know, some of that is also the 2020, 2021, 2020, early 2022 fundraising environment. I don't know if that kind of exuberance sort of lasts forever. Um, I think when we went into both fundraising rounds, we kind of, um, we we pitched them as what they were. I'm, I'm never one to sort of like overhype. It's not my personality. So we're very candid about here's what's working, here's what's not, here's where the business is at. Uh, and then the sort of like market sets the valuation a little bit. Uh, and then it sort of gets branded as a series A or a series B. So that, that's probably the candid take on, on kind of mm -hmm. both those funding rounds. Um, but that being said, I think we've, we've seen a ton of growth in the last six months, especially. Uh, and so I don't know that anyone really regrets that decision. Um, uh, in terms of like what we saw as like time to raise, I think mm -hmm. especially with the series B, the series A was more like a seed. It was done very, very early in the company's life cycle. The series B, the reason we uh, raised that, we actually had um, of that eight and a half million we raised in the series A, we had about 7 million left. So we, we weren't even spending money that aggressively. We certainly did not need to raise. We had a lot of runway even going into it. Um, the, the reason we raised was, I think there were a couple of reasons. One is like, we had definitely hit an inflection point in growth. Um, and so we'd already had a product out. It had launched and been around for about a year. People had been using it, but we started seeing the point where like, oh, we actually closed a couple of enterprise deals. We see like some like, pretty strong uh, indications that we can like repeatably um, scale sales. Like, you know, we've, we've started hiring on the sales side. We've hired on the marketing side. Uh, it's not just purely our like 100% R and D at the company anymore. So like those things were happening and we were at the point where like, 
while we do have a lot of runway, we have a mechanism to deploy additional capital and get additional growth. Um, and at the time when we raised, uh, we were getting really favorable terms. So we're like, you know, I don't know if this will last. It turns out it didn't, um, as we've sort of seen uh, valuations kind of collapse in the last few months. Um, and so partially opportunism, partially hitting an inflection point in growth, um, partially the valuation being sort of uh, amenable. And now we have like many, many years of runway. And so uh, I think we're in a pretty good position and, and the timing ended up being pretty good. And so for a product like yours, you know, with developer tools, a lot of frameworks versus say, just say developing a CRM system, does this take a lot of upfront engineering work and a lot of capital there, or is it not as intensive as, as other products? Yeah, it, it's, um, I think it's like somewhere in the middle, uh, to be honest. So our engineering team is 13 people today. Um, and so it, it's a pretty, uh, and, and it was like almost all engineering until like seven, eight months ago. Uh, and so uh, we definitely hired a lot more engineers relative to the stage of the company than I did say at my previous company, Heap. Um, partial Part of that is because we had the capital to do so and we could recruit really good people. Um, but I think part of it is also like uh, the, the thing we're trying to build is a software framework to build software. And so um, there is a certain minimal set of feature completeness you have to have for it to be viable. And so... I think a lot of products you can sort of launch with something extremely narrow in terms of your MVP and generate value. And then you can incrementally generate more and more value over time. Um, but uh, the initial thing we launched with, which was pretty narrow, some people adopted it, but others would say, this is really cool, but it's not complete. Like they would say, I still need to end up like, uh, like the initial thing we launched with essentially let you sort of like, um, you know, write a, Python script or a JavaScript script or something like that encapsulate a key business operation, turn it into like a web form that sort of launches that task. And that works well for certain internal operations, but it doesn't work well for things that are more UI heavy or read heavy or things like that. And so people would end up saying like, hey, I'm trying to build like a set of internal applications for a support team. Airplane as it is today might let me automate 30% of those, but they don't, they're not purely siloed off from the other 70%. So if I'm going to have to write code for the other 70% anyways, Airplane's not really helping me all that much. Mm -hmm. um, because I have to make these things integrate and talk to each other anyways. And so a few companies used it, but a lot of people were like, hey, get back to me when you have more feature richness and completeness. So yeah. I think it took a while for us to really, like what ended up being the MVP was a lot heftier than I think you end up seeing at a lot of other types of companies. Um, and so, you know, perhaps in retrospect, there was a way to have done it more narrowly or something like that. But I just think there was a minimal set of work we had mm -hmm. to do to get there. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, thanks for sharing that. So yeah. raised about 40 million to date. So for the other founders, SaaS teams listening right now, any lessons, tips, and tricks that you can share with the audience as far as your fundraising experience so far? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, both the funding rounds we've done have been kind of very unique to airplane in the sense of like, it's taking advantage of the fact that we're second time founders. It happened in a pretty like frothy fundraising environment. So I don't know that that's repeatable necessarily. That being said, I also raised or me and my co-founder raised uh, about $95 million in, in total funding during my time at Heap across mm -hmm. four rounds, seed, A, B, C. Then they raised a D after I left. Um, and those happened in a variety of funding environments. You know, we we did our seed round in 2013 where SaaS wasn't even that cool yet and people were more interested in funding the next social app. Like um, I, I've kind of seen sort of every, every kind of fundraising era uh, when it comes to SaaS, maybe not pre-2013, but... Um, I think in general, the the number one invariant in every funding round that I've done is that the company didn't need the funding. 
Um, and so, well, the very first funding mm -hmm. in we needed to get off the ground, but after seed, like a series, a B C at heap, the series a and B so far at airplane, we went into all those funding rounds from a position of strength in the sense of like, if we don't get this round done or don't get the terms we want, we can just walk away and not take anything. And we'll, we'll, we'll last as a business. And I think the thing that, um, uh, that's the number one thing you can do for yourself in a funding round. If you, if you have the alternative of being able to walk away, then you essentially can hold out for whatever terms you want and just say no uh, if you don't get them. Uh, and I think the thing that sort of happened in Silicon Valley over the last like five years, especially, is I think people like people started thinking the only way to build a company is to raise around every 18 months. And that's like not objectively not true. Like there were times at Heap where we went three plus years between rounds um, because we just weren't at that right inflection point to justify really, really great valuations. So we're like, that's fine. Um, we'll sort of just be a little bit leaner, burn a little bit less, go cash flow positive, whatever we need to. Um, and if you control your own destiny like that, then you're 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 always going to be fine from a fundraising process. Like all the tactical stuff about building great pitch decks, or you know how you uh, talk to once this VC and then that VC, like that stuff doesn't really matter. The fundamentals, like have you built a healthy business and do you control your own destiny, matter a lot more than any of that. Yeah, and I think obviously that story that that insight is really going to raise uh, or or really resonate today in this fundraising environment and trying to extend cash runways and valuations down where, yeah, if you can walk in, you know, in a position of strength and walk away and don't need yeah. it. Yeah. That's a, a lot of founders I'm sure would like to be in that position today. Uh, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So what, uh, so a lot of good things going on, 40 million raised, uh, you know, what's, what's next for airplane? What's coming up? That's exciting. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so as I mentioned, we've we've had a really good last six months, basically from a growth perspective. Um, we are hiring kind of both in go-to-market and on the engineering side. Um, we're not hiring like super aggressively, um, to be totally honest. We're we're sort of hiring judiciously. Um, but you know, I think roughly the team will probably, you know, double over the next 18 months, something like that. Um, uh, obviously at this stage, it's hard to make long range forecasts and have any confidence in them, but um, that's where the trajectory it feels like we're on. So a lot of scaling on the go-to-market side. Uh, on the product side, I think like, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, like building an MVP for airplane took a lot more like time and work than it ended up taking for, for Heap, for example, like the amount of like just the min feature set ended up being a lot bigger. Um, I think we're kind of there now we're sort of seeing um, like more repeatability in like larger deal sizes and larger customers and things like that. Uh, and so a lot of what we're doing is um, building features that allow you to get the value that airplane already provides a lot more easily. Um, the way I think about airplane is uh, anything you can do in airplane, you can do outside of airplane. That's not true of every product. You know, if you don't have a piece of payroll software, running payroll is going to be really, really hard. Um, but like, if you don't have airplane, you'll just write that software in-house. And so the bar is really high actually to adopt something like airplane. And it's not just, does it have all the features it needs, but it's also, um, is it experientially something that I, as a developer, am going to trust more so than doing the thing that I do every single day, which is like writing code from scratch using open source libraries or whatever. And so that bar is so high that like, you know, making improvements that turn a thing that takes five minutes in airplane, take three seconds instead is, is massively valuable because it sort of engenders that emotional response in the people who use the product to think like, Hey, this is actually really pleasant to use. I want to use this to solve my problems um, when I could have done something else. And so a lot of what we're doing is just those kind of quality of life improvements, like the sort of sum total of like the thousand little product decisions that turn it from, this is pretty good to like, this is incredible and revelatory. Um, so, so it's uh, maybe a boring answer, but it's a lot of a lot of stuff like that that we're we're, we're working on in the product. Um, 
yeah that, that's like the main yeah. stuff on the product side yeah yeah i think yeah this year time to value would be huge so yeah that that makes a lot of sense yeah. so ravi really appreciate you sharing your background the story around airplane and if listeners would like to learn more about airplane where should we send them online yeah, for sure. So you can just check out the website, airplane.dev, um, .dev. Uh, it is a developer tool, so we went with a .dev domain uh, that we do on the .io. We don't on the .com, unfortunately. Um, so check out airplane.dev if you want to like try the product. It is a free product with a pretty generous free tier. So smaller companies can generally use it. You know, if you're sub 10 people and you're a tiny startup and you're just getting started, you can use the airplane for free usually without having to go into our paid tier. Uh, and there's a self-serve plan that's also pretty generous as well. Um, so you can get a lot of value for, for not a lot if you, if you want to try it out. Um, if you're just interested in, in chatting with me or anything like that, you can always email me. I'm Ravi, R-A-V-I at airplane.dev. Um, so I'd love to hear from anyone who just has any questions or any thoughts. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate it. And just one quick question before we wrap up. The name sure. Airplane for the company, Where is there any story around Airplane as the name of, of, of your company? Yeah, it's a good question. Honestly, uh, there is not any interesting story at all about it. Uh, the, the story of the name for Airplane and the story of the name for Heap, my previous company, are kind of the same, which is that uh, we wanted something that was like short, like one word, um, something for which there wasn't already a brand associated with it, but we didn't care all that much what it was. Um, with Airplane, my co-founder and I brainstormed for about 30 minutes. We came up with Airplane. We looked online. We're like, ah, there's no other company called Airplane specifically. Obviously, Airplanes exist. but um, And we were like, well, the .dev is available. The .io is available. The .com is not available, but it doesn't. It just looks like a domain squatter. So we figured you know, we could sort of protect the brand if we ended up getting it, So we ended up doing. So okay. it's not a super well thought out name. That being said, Thrive Capital, who led our Series B, um, they also, the same investor who led our Series B also sits on the board of Airbyte um, and uh, another like Air Airtable uh, and Airplane. So it's a little bit confusing. There's probably too many Air names. Yeah, so we fully anticipate that, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's great. I love, yeah, a little logic behind that. You know, a little yeah. reasoning. So I love that. So listeners, if you'd like to learn more, check out airplane.dev and email Ravi directly at ravi at airplane.dev. And Ravi, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure.